Hello, and thank you for joining us. This is Brian, your host of the Parish the Thought Show. The opinions of said host and our guests have not been sanitized or scientifically tested, so please consume at your own risk. Ladies and gentlemen, and whoever else is listening, my guest today is Tom Coe. Tom, welcome. Well, thank you, Brian. It's uh, really nice to be here with you. Well, it only took me seven months to get you here, so I'm glad we're here. And uh, for for those of you joining us, Tom is a flight medic based out of Redding, California. And you have been doing that for how long? Uh, I've been working as a flight medic for eight years now. And um, a licensed paramedic for 12 years. And working in EMS. A licensed paramedic for 12, 12 years now. Okay. Prior to becoming a paramedic, I was an EMT2 for 12 years. And prior to that, an EMT1 for a couple of years. So I've been uh, involved in varying degrees of EMS for a long time. <laughs> well, I'm no mathematician, but I think I heard about 30 years. Um, yeah. Maybe longer. Okay. Well, okay. yeah, because I joined the volunteer fire department and became um, became a had a uh, what they call an EMR emergency medical responder certification uh, when I started there in 1989. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's been a long road. <laughs> All right. So you grew up a farming, yeah. right? Yeah, grew up. Uh, on a small cattle ranch, um, worked on, uh, farms and ranches, uh, as I grew up, went to college to be, uh, uh, animal science degree, um, and, um, ended up volunteering as a volunteer firefighter next to a ranch that we leased back in 1989. Um, and that's kind of where I just fell into this, uh, occupation that I never had any idea that I had any, um, ability, desire for desire or ability, either one. And where was this? Uh, it was, uh, in Northeastern Shasta County and a little place called, uh, Soldier Mountain Fire Department. Um, and, um, through a um, through a series of interesting and troubling calls, I I continued to search out more education to be able to do the emergency medical side of it better because I felt really inadequate on on several occasions uh, with really severely injured people and. Um, and then kind of realized that I kind of had a gift for, I don't know if I'd say a gift, but, you know, um, I was able to take care of people when they were having a really bad day. And, uh, and I, I liked to be able to do that for the people that lived in that community where I lived. Well, knowing you as long as I have, 
I know that you're a phenomenal medic, but it's I I'm guessing, correct me if I'm wrong, you have a phenomenal bedside manner in that you just are you're just a good caring soul and you you help a lot of their healing just by being kind and genuine and, and you know, interested in them as a person. They're not a patient, they're a person to you. Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely have to be. Um because they're not, you know, I'm not just doctoring a cow or a horse. Um, and, um, you know, they, everybody has, a a condition and a story and background that led them to the point that they were at. Even, even young children do, um, infants do, you know, that they aren't even aware of. And, and you have to, uh, take that into consideration when you're, when you're helping them and, and remember, always remember that no matter what kind of people they are and what kind of situation you find yourself in, your, your job is to take care of them. And, and every emergency is, is an emergency to that person. And that's what I was an EMT for a short while. And that's what I learned is, no matter how serious or not serious you may think it is, it's, it's, it's all consuming to them at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and sometimes, sometimes people um, just need somebody to, to care a little bit, you know, um, they need somebody to touch them on the arm and have just simple, uh, just simple human, human contact. contact and and then other people you know um they just uh you know they just want whatever the system can give them but um a lot of times even those people um you will find them in a situation that they're not used to being in where they have had super serious medical condition arise or an injury. And so you can't ever go in there with a predetermined attitude about what's going on with these people because you never know when it's a real deal for them. And even when it isn't, you know, just treat them with respect and uh, respect and kindness if you can. Sometimes it's hard, you know, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to say that, you know, I am always kind and friendly to everybody, but I at least respect them. And, um, and I've never had a situation on a call where I've had to have law enforcement take over for me because, because somebody thought I was not being appropriate or being a jerk to them. And, and that's kind of, that's something that I'm pretty proud about. Well, that's interesting. You say that about four months ago, my wife was in a car accident and one of the medics that came on scene was a, was a kid that actually worked for us 12 years ago. So to have someone that she knew and could comfort her in that, her time of you know need right. was huge. Yeah. 
you know, I'm sure, I'm sure another paramedic would have been just as, you know, just as good, but just to have someone just have that personal connection. Yeah. Was, was huge. So yeah, that's, that's, that's a huge part of the healing. Yeah, it is. And it's hard. And I, and I, I, I know when I was doing some training, when I was in my EMT class, I, I went and sat, sat at a, a fire station in Salt Lake city for a day. And we only had one call that whole day, but it was a, it was a house that clearly EMS had been there many times before. Cause you could just see the, the look and the attitude on the paramedics and they did their job professionally, but they were oh great. Yeah. It's, it's these people again, they're, you know, yeah. dumb decisions doing drugs and there was just no caring because mm-hmm. they, I mean, I'm sure they were jaded and they were just tired of it. And it was my first one. So I was really feeling all empathetic and wanting to care and help the person, but they were just uh, kind of jaded, which I'm sure and, that happens. And in. that's a really difficult um, chasm to not cross. I mean, and, and I find every once in a while that, you know, I've um, stepped over to the other side because of, you know, 20, 25, 30 years of experience, um, you, you start to lose faith in the people's ability to, to, uh, straighten their life out. And there's always tons of excuses, but every once in a while, um, and, and it's a way that I have, it's the way that I, keep my mental health and don't get burned out about the job is every once in a while you will have a situation where you really help those one of those people or maybe you help their children or you know but you make a difference in somebody's life and you have to the way I do it is I have to remember that and and when I'm frustrated I think about that situation and it helps me remember that not every one of those situations is just the same old bad mess and that's kind of what keeps me emotionally and and uh, uh, mentally healthy as healthy as you can be (laughs) in this job uh, over a, a long term, um, but it's uh, it's a it's a battle to to constantly work with people who don't take care of themselves and treat themselves bad, and um, and that can be really hard. <laughs> yeah, you have a you have a tendency to not care as much as as hard as it is but yeah you're like you're here because it's your own fault and because you made a, a dumb decision right and i gotta i gotta patch you up again yeah that's tough and i wasn't in it long enough to see a lot of that i mean i, I did some concerts and events where everyone was wasted so <laughs> yeah you, you patch them up because you like the experience but you just you're you're caring your care your level of care <laughs> or concern is not as high because you're like, okay, you, you are dumb. You're 14 and you, you 
took some drugs from some stranger that walked by you and now you're puking all over yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you're like, okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, question. Uh, what are there some parallels between farming and being a flight medic or, or things that you've learned as a farmer that help you as a medic <laughs> as, yeah. as opposed to those two careers are there there is um a striking number of parallels in those those two careers um i think one of the one of the biggest things is that i learned as a young very young person 10 or 11 years old was um basically kind of the first job you could get as a kid on a farm or a ranch was was hoeing thistles or, you know, digging up some kind of weeds um, and learning that when you walk into a huge field and all you see is these weeds and you work day after day after day after day and you don't see any progress, but you just keep working and then all of a sudden you'll look up and there's just like 10 minutes of work left and you're done. And to, to learn to uh, just stick with a job when it's, when it's tough and it's not fun and um, was, was one of the, has been one of the really important things. And then probably the, the biggest thing is learning how to solve problems by yourself. And, um, you know, whether you're solving problems that revolve around uh, repairing a piece of farm machinery or um, some task on a farm, or you're trying to save somebody's life, it's all about problem solving and, and looking for a solution and not getting trapped in this mindset that you're about to be involved in a disaster instead you you look at it as okay um i need to do what i have to do to have the the outcome that i want and the outcome in ems is i want my patient to survive so to survive i need to think of every possible thing that I would have to do for the myriad of things that could be going wrong with this patient um, and, and have an active, working, flexible plan. And uh, farming is like that all the time because you're dealing with tons of things that you can't, can't control. And um, taking care of somebody that's sick or injured is a whole bunch of things that you can't control prior to you getting there. But once you get there, if you have a good plan made, you can control those things. And is any part of that plan bailing wire and duct tape? Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. I, I, on, on patients, bailing wire and duct tape? Um, yeah, you know, sometimes, sometimes, um, 
the 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 things that I figure out how to do. Um, so most recently we have, uh, had it always had an issue when we're loading our patients up into the airplane that have multiple drips running and multiple IV bags is to try and keep them all in a position where we don't get any air in the line and mess up the pumps because some of these some of these medications can't be interrupted or if they are interrupted, it has to be for a very small period of time or else the patient will, will decompensate or die on you. And um, so it was always really difficult to do that because you're, you're loading a person up through the door of an airplane on a sled that's on a ventilator um, and has you know, anywhere from two to six critical drips running. And these bags would always, you know, slide around on them. And it just was really difficult to keep them. So I came up with this idea of taking a sheet of aluminum, putting some padding on it, tuck it underneath the patient's leg, put underneath their legs and put our IV pole with our IV pumps on that plate and everybody looks at it and they're like, wow, you ought to patent that thing because that is super cool. How'd you come up with that? I'm like, well, it's just kind of, I went out, honestly, I went out in my junk pile behind my barn and found a sheet of aluminum and cleaned it all up really good and found a little aluminum tube and welded it on there and then made this thing that worked really good. So, yeah, some, some of it is just total improvisation and, and uh, fixing stuff on the fly. I've, I've made gaskets for oxygen tanks that were leaking really bad, and I knew I was going to run out of oxygen if I didn't fix it. So um, I looked around the back of the ambulance and found a sheet of plastic in the binder that held some paperwork you know it was like a, a, a pocket for paperwork to go in and I cut out this chunk and poked a hole on it and stuck it in <laughs> and it worked you know so who who would have thunk a little redneck engineering <laughs> and the medical field? right yeah exactly innovation is innovation is innovation yeah yeah and that's very cool and uh you know and instead of getting paralyzed by the fear of oh my god we're going to run out of oxygen. It's like, nope, I'm going to figure out how to fix this before we run out so that our patient doesn't have a bad outcome. And that, and that is super important in my job. You can't think about what's going to happen. You have to figure out what you need to do. So nothing happens. The ultimate preparation for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna call you. We're gonna start calling you Fix It Felix. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, with a smile, well, with a smile and a mustache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish everyone could see you right now. <laughs> Maybe I'll post a picture yeah. of you. Okay. Yeah, post a picture when I'm clean shaven because I haven't shaved for the last couple of days. I'm a little rough looking, but <laughs> so what? No uh, this is radio. Yeah, right. right. Face face for radio. Yeah. All right, so. 
hold that thought and uh, we'll be right back. Okay. Hey guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. One, it's free. Two, there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Three, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many others. Four, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And five, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It is so stinking easy. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You will not be disappointed. And we're back. Hey. What what are some of the craziest, weirdest, heart-wrenching, uplifting, all of the above things that you've seen since you've been in this field, since you started mm-hmm. to now? And the, some of because you probably see some things that, that most people wouldn't, well, wouldn't, well, they wouldn't even see on a movie, but you're seeing them probably on a daily basis. So what's, what oh. has been inspired you the most or something that keeps you going or that, 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 well, that supports your why, your why, the why behind you do, doing what you do. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that, that, um, has just been amazing through this entire career, if you want to call it that, <laughs> starting out as a volunteer. Um, oh gosh, 1992, I think. Um, went on a car wreck. And there was a young man there. One of one of the young guys died, and. His friend was um, just starting to regain consciousness when I arrived in a 1968 Cadillac ambulance rescue unit. <laughs> it looked like a Ghostbuster. Ghostbuster. Um, I had loped a horse. We were moving cattle. I'd loped across fields for like a mile and a half to get to my brother's house, to get to the fire station, to, you know, take my shaps and spurs off and get in a, in a fire rescue. You know, I mean, if people saw this in a movie, they would probably think it was the most ridiculous thing in the world. Anyway, I got there. Luckily he hadn't regained consciousness. He just started to move. I simply um, did what I was trained. I didn't do any, fancy assessment or treatment put a c-collar on him a collar around his neck we put him on a backboard and loaded him in the ambulance and then we took the other boy out of the car because this one this young man was laying on top of him and we found out later that the first boy that we had unloaded out of the or got out of the car was had an unstable c1 fracture which typically most people die from as soon as they regain consciousness after the injury because they turn their head and and it severs their spinal column and a couple years ago two or three years ago i was talking to his mother and he has a family and 
he has no disabilities from that car wreck. He's not, you know, I mean, he's, all of his extremities work. He lives a totally normal life. And uh, I think, I think that that is one of those things that is so amazing to um, been lucky enough to be there at the right time because it wasn't any fancy flight medic care. It was just recognizing that this guy was severely injured and I had to do all of the things that I'd been <laughs> trained to do at night classes at the fire station. <laughs> and, uh, um, and as far as the, the weirdest heart wrenching and uplifting all in one, that was pretty much that way. But uh, another time I took care of a, a family, uh, a mother and her two children, or we tried to take care of them. Um, and she had a drug problem and was um, driving out in a very rural area way too fast and hit a huge tree and hit it so hard that it, it actually disintegrated the car and killed her instantly. And her four-year-old son was in the front with her in the front seat. And he um, ended up dying from his injuries. And we worked really hard to um, help him. And it's, it's crazy that this is so emotional 27 years later. But his little sister was in the backseat of that car and she was two and a half years old and she couldn't climb out of the car. And we were so busy doing CPR on her brother that we just left her in the car because she was crawling around in there crying and squalling and obviously making enough noise that she wasn't terribly injured. And we took her out as soon as we could, as soon as we got more people there, because, you know, it's uh, rural EMS, you got like two people there and three super injured people or four or 10, you know, and, uh, yeah, outnumbered. so we get this little girl out. I'll never forget. She had little diamond earrings. She's this beautiful little Hispanic girl and, uh, um, and obviously very distraught and very scared. And we got her all packaged up and sent her off in the ambulance. And then the CHP was looking in the car and there was no restraint device in that car anyway. That was, that was going to be my next question. Back then, they probably didn't have a whole lot of car seat type right. things. And this car is 
I mean, the, the engine was shoved clear back underneath the driver's seat. And um, so, you know, naturally we got super concerned and we had arranged for a helicopter to come and transport her just because, you know, two other people died in this car and, and the chance that she was going to have horrible injuries was pretty high. And we called down to the hospital later that day because we we're all really concerned about her. And in the background, you could hear her singing uh, children's rhymes, old McDonald's farm and stuff with the nurse in the, in the ER in Reading. And she had no injuries. And that, that right there yeah. is a little miracle. Yeah. And I always wonder what happened to her afterwards. <laughs> um, yeah. Do you, do you, of all these cases you, you, and, and calls you go on and accidents and horrible things. And do you ever get a chance to, to meet the people that you've helped? I guess you, you, I mean, you're, um, you get their names and things, but yeah, but it's, um, in our modern society, it's pretty, it's, you know, with privacy issues and everything, you pretty much are not allowed to uh, follow up. I mean, we follow up on a clinical basis. You know, we call and they tell us, yes, the patient is doing better and they will be discharged or they've been moved to a lower care unit and they're healing up. And that's, you know, which is better than nothing. Um, yeah, it's very, very mechanical, robotic, and yeah, personal. Yeah, and and it and it is become that way because of the litigious nature of <laughs> medical care. Yeah, you know, but yeah, getting getting sued for saving yeah. someone's life. Well, or or just well, for, I know even even my dad, my dad, thirty plus years ago. I think if I recall correctly said he was, someone was trying to sue them or because he cut somebody's clothes, trying to get a seatbelt off yeah. of them, cut some woman's shirt or something. And she was furious. And yeah. And this, this was, this was 30 plus years ago. You know, now you look at someone cross. Right. You, but... Yeah. And you know, it's, it's funny because people ask me, you know, they'll, a lot of young medics will be like, so, you know, how much uh, liability insurance do you carry? I'm like, None. Well, who's your policy through? I don't, I don't do that. You know, well, you don't have any kind of malpractice insurance. I'm like, no. And uh, they think I'm kind of irresponsible because of that. But I've always maintained that if I, try my best to do my job with the with as much professionalism and knowledge and skill as I can um, and treat people decently that that is the only protection I need and I hope I'm not um, naive or someday regret that but 
to this point, no. to this point, it's, I've never, never had an issue. Well, your company has some kind of policy, I would assume, that would cover silly things like that. Do they not? Oh, yeah. They, I mean, because people are always trying to, you know, do, do everything. A international company with deep pockets, you bet, you know. Yeah. But so is that common for other for medics to carry a policy on themselves? Apparently, apparently. um, Well, I don't know how common it is, but I know several people who do. But they're also kind of the ones that always think they need to wear a bulletproof vest, too. And I'm, um, you know, and I I get it. Some areas you probably do. Um, But once again, if you treat with people respectfully and um, and do the right thing, um, that's that that is the best protection you'll ever have. Yeah, kindness knows no bounds. Yeah, and uh, there's been times when I was working on the ground ambulance and I would be responding to a call and they'd say, Oh, this has been flagged by EMS responders for being dangerous. And I would call the dispatch center and find out who it was. And I'm like, I can see why those, those particular guys probably did. I go into the house like, Hey, my name's Tom. I'm here to help you. How can I help you? And I've never had a problem with these people. And there were some scary places. I mean, there were some places where my skin was crawling. I mean, it was creepy. It was spooky. But at the same time, you just go in there and ask them how I can help. And all of the aggressiveness just like kind of goes away. <laughs> well, I, I think these other people you're talking about that that you know have these policies on themselves maybe hotheads because you know unfortunately the firefighting and ems world does have a lot of people that have a lot serious serious egos yeah and they come across as a little holier than thou instead and that's where i think you because you probably have 20 plus years of life experience on many of the other colleagues that you work with yeah yeah which is huge i mean i i i applied for the Utah Highway Patrol about four or five years ago and kind of my you know ace in the hole I guess when I was interviewing was hey I've got 20 years of life experience and talking with people and dealing with people right on these young kids that are coming in you know didn't work out and I was eventually voted off the island but that was my <laughs> that was my that was my uh like say what's the word golden nugget or something that yeah there there's you know no substitute for experience and and working with people yeah a lot of young people don't have they don't have that or don't know how they haven't learned that yet yeah which puts you at a huge huge advantage yeah and and i've been blessed to have worked with some people who have uh, not steered me down the wrong path or demanded that um that i do things the right way um and um that's made a huge difference you know i had a partner years ago on the ground ambulance that 
reminded me one night at a hospital where we worked um, that I absolutely was not in charge of determining what had happened to a patient or what he had done or any of the circumstances around it. And no matter how repulsive the things that had happened at that scene were, that was not my job. My job was to take care of him and to not be a jerk about it. And I, I, um, every time I see that lady, I give her a hug and I thank her for, for jerking me up short and reminding me what my job was and why I'm doing that job. And I kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to sound like somebody that tries to associate themselves with something more uh, important than what they do. But, you know, it's sort of like when the military medics take care of enemy fighters that are wounded, you, you were there to take care of wounded people and it doesn't matter what color the uniform is. And so I really appreciate that life experience, you know, 25 plus years ago that has really made a difference in how I do my job. Yeah. You are not the judge. Never. You know, um, I took care of a little boy who had been brutally beaten and tortured for, for weeks and weeks. And everybody, everybody said to me, how, how did you not want to kill those people that were there that had done that? I'm like, I didn't even think about that. That was, that was not why I was there. Um, True. Their question is fair also. No. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, but you know, I can't, I can't let my mind wander to things that aren't what I need to do because literally two minutes of inattention or a minute worth of inattention with that boy and he would have died. And so, so that, that situation that they, 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 they did, did they call? No, nine one one. No, actually, actually, somebody that was some somebody that was buying drugs from them did, and and that was another point where I had this this like I don't know um, bright light or epiphany (laughs) made me realize that even addicts are good people, still humans. Yes, because. You know, here's somebody going to buy meth at this house and he's like, oh, my God, this I can't I I can't let these people keep doing this. And, uh, you know, and so. If you if you really look at it, honestly. You know, some strung out meth head saved that kid. Had more of a role in saving that little boy's life than I did. And that's pretty amazing when you like 
kind of put it in this perspective that nobody really wants to see. Um, you are because because addicts are dismissed. Sure, as in inhuman animals and stupid. Yes. Um, yeah, I've done several interviews with with people who have been addicted to, you know, one substance or another, and so yeah, this is that's a great example. That's a whole other topic for another show. But yeah, that that as as addicted and selfish as that person was, they could see a greater good could be done by by turning those people. Yeah, around. that's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So just some, some amazing experiences over a fairly long period of time that have, I feel like have um, given me perspectives that are really helpful, or I hope they're helpful to younger people that I work with. Uh, And, uh, you know, and I, and I'm surrounded with Pretty much everybody I work with is in their early 30s, late 20s, and um, and yet uh, when they've had a really awful day or a really hard shift at work, um, you know they'll they'll kind of seek me out and sit down and talk, um, and that's a that's a pretty neat feeling to, to feel like that maybe I'm helping somebody um, develop a, a path that is going to keep them strong and healthy in this, in this uh, profession. Well, you are the grandpa. And so they're like, probably, come on, grandpa, let's go sit on the porch. You tell me a story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. Well, well, it's because you are now officially right. Yep. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's great. Grandpas are good. Yeah, people need grandpas. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, they do. Yeah, some of the neatest people I've taken care of have been old grandpas and old grandmas who have huge families surrounding them when you come to pick them up and take care of them and and. Uh, it's pretty, um, pretty amazing to be in the position where you see people at that point in their life where they have that many people that are that invested in, in how this person is doing. And uh, it's true being treated. Yeah. 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 That's very cool. Yeah. All right. I have, I think one, one final big question and in the 30 years you've been doing this, like what kind of trends in, I don't know, human behavior are you seeing? Is it, is it good? Is it, is it bad? Is it better? Is it worse from when you started this or just in general, you know, what you're exposed to? I think, I think one of the most unsettling trends I've seen is um, a a loss of of um, oh gosh I had this I had this thought out too and and now I'm like stammering for the word um, 
a loss of, of conviction and uh, in, in, in the importance of what we're doing. Um, in your in like people in your field, yeah, or just patients. No, in our field okay. uh, with with doctors and nurses and um, uh, in in the early nineties, I can remember going to the local trauma center for trainings, and people were excited and and they were um, they just couldn't wait to to go do the things they were learning. And, and now I see this incredibly apathetic attitude and, um, uh, you know, all the way through the medical process. And, and it's all about numbers and, and, uh, you know, uh, money and how, how to get that money and, and, you know, whether or not we record the trauma alerts appropriately so they can get the most out of the government money pile, you know, and I don't, and I, I don't want to say I don't see it anymore, but it is really rare when you, when you bring a patient in the hospital that's really hurt and people are empathetic and professional and like really on top of their job. And, um, that, that makes me sad, you know, that, because I see, I see so many things evolving and improving in medical care, but the attitudes of the people delivering it are deteriorating. So the technologies, and the procedures are, are improving, but the, the yeah. human human connection, the soul. Yeah. We're losing a little bit of that. That's what you're seeing. Yeah. And, and, uh, why do you think that is? I don't know, Brian. I, I keep trying to figure it out and I keep trying to like force people to, to pay attention and treat these patients like patients. You know, we, we take patients to, uh, University Medical Center in California, and and, uh, and the the resident doctors are all worried about like kind of acting like their own Gray's Anatomy and not like they're taking care of a human. You know, they're they're shouting stuff, and they're not they're not cognizant that they're taking care of a human body and that they need to pay attention and they need to touch that person and be aware of all of their senses when they're doing it. And, um, you know, I, I took a, I took a little old lady from the campfire Um, to the burn center last fall she survived which is really really amazing but she was so horribly injured and uh, we were in there and and the all these young residents and 
nurses in training were all about like trying to show the other one up, you know, be the one that discovered the the medical issue that made them the you know made them get an A. And um, this poor little woman was the only thing she was concerned about was that she wasn't going to have any physical female attributes that made her attractive anymore. And they were just kind of treating her like a piece of meat. And I was probably rude and inappropriate. And I yelled at some people <laughs> in this very large hospital and in that room. And, um, but you can't, you can't lose sight of the fact that we are taking care of somebody who can't take care of themselves. And that I think is the biggest trend that I see in the medical profession. And I also see a lot of young people who think it's going to be a cool adrenaline ride and they'll make some money and have lots of time off. And um, that's not what it's about. Years ago, there was a movie called The Patient, I believe. And it was a doctor who was kind of a complete a-hole, zero bedside manner. And he had was diagnosed with cancer or something like that. Yeah, I remember he that. Became, he became a patient. Yeah, Bill Hurt was the... I yes. Think the, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that was a huge eye-opener for him and just really realized how, how important that is, that human-to-human -human connection. And your story about that burn victim from the campfire is horrific. Not, not her injuries, but the treatment. And I'm sure they didn't mean it. They, no. If they had any clue what they were doing and how hurtful it you know was to you and obviously this other woman this woman could hear them and her husband in the next curtain over who had come down in in a different helicopter you know and and i i think that you know part of it is in our life now we we have told people that it is okay to um, to not be involved and to not care, and because that's their protection. But if you if you take that too far, then you don't. You're just you might as well be a mechanic. You might as well be wrenching on a car, or fixing pipes under a house or something like that because it's not an inanimate object. It's a living creature who can hear you and, and feels, you know, your, your tension and everything else. And, uh, uh, and I, so I really try and impress that whenever I work with a young medic in training that, you know, the most important thing you can do when you walk up to a person, I think you and I talked about it, is 
you know, reach out, take their hand, take their wrist, talk to them, introduce yourself and lay their wrist up on their chest. And while you're doing that, you're doing this gigantic assessment in like 20 seconds, (laughs) but you're also touching them and letting them know that it's not just a computer or a robot taking care of them. Right. If you don't give a shit about people, go be a welder. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, so, you know, um, because ultimately what we do is all about people. I mean, obviously there's, there's amazing things that we see and do as flight medicine people, um, but when you get down to the meat of it, all we are is healthcare professionals working in a fancy flying piece of equipment that really has nothing to do with what we are doing for these people. And what we're doing for them is treating them like humans and, and working as hard as we can to ensure that they have some quality of life when they heal up from whatever's going on with them, you know? Yeah. We're losing a little bit of the care in healthcare. So yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good insight. That's why I had you on my show. (laughs) Well, I knew I could, I I knew I could get all learned up and stuff. (laughs) Well, I hope I didn't drone on too long about, personal uh um experiences but it's it's um i know how dare you it's a um a pretty your whole career is a personal experience yeah it's a it's a pretty pretty complex web of things that have that have uh changed my life and uh um and then when I come back from a really tough shift working as a medic, uh, some of the best days are just going out there and looking for some thistles in that same old field because sometimes you just need to sweat and free your mind. <laughs> and uh, oh, it all comes back yep. to the thistles. <laughs> it does. Medic, farmers, yep. medics, and thistles. Yeah. For sure. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Tom, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you, you uh, being on the show and sharing this experience. It's a, it's a huge, that's a big deal. It's a big story. And, and uh, you, you are a pretty amazing man. And I've known that since the day you married <laughs> my sister. Well, I, I appreciate you, uh, being patient with me until I finally got around to talking with you. Yeah. So I know when you, when you guys were first married, I think I said something to the effect that, Hey, if this doesn't work out with you two, I'm keeping him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you'd probably regret, regret that. But <laughs> Stop it. I bet you say that's yeah, all the cute boys. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right, Tom. Well, uh, well thanks, right. man. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll chat okay. with you another time. Thanks, bud.
Thank you again for listening to the Parish the Thought Show. We would love your comments and feedback on our website at briankeithparish.com feedback. If you love or hate what you hear, please give us a rating on whatever platform you find us. 